friends, welcome once again to the Everyday Missionary Podcast, a podcast that does not happen every single day, barely happens every single week or even every other week at this point. Nonetheless, we're dialing up one today. It's been a couple of weeks since we've been together, and so with that, we're getting into episode 282, and today is not current events, it's not political issues, it's not... Uh, at least I don't think it's scandalous kinds of subject matter, though in some ways maybe it will be. We're going to find out. No, today is going to be something that everybody thinks is a really easy topic until you dig into it and it becomes a complicated topic, and that is the topic of faith. F-A-I-T-H, yes, faith is the subject of today. And uh, there's a reason for this as I'm thinking it out, which is uh, it's related even to some stuff I'm doing this week. Uh, we're doing the Sunday school series on Sunday mornings, uh, looking at kind of the the more complicated, nuanced, adultish side of some of the old classic Sunday school stories. And uh, when I'm kind of getting ready for this week, it made me think about the subject of faith a little bit more and kind of what is the nature of faith. And you would think that that's a really easy topic for modern day Christians to define or defend. And yet when you dig into it a little bit more, you find it's a little bit more complicated than that. Or at least it has the potential to be complicated. Or maybe what the heart of today is, is that that faith uh, confronts us. Uh, it, it confronts the most authentic nature of what this whole enterprise is as far as seeking to live like and live for Jesus. Like, I think faith is a confronting agent or a, a challenging agent as much as it's meant to be an inspirational or hopeful agent. And that's kind of what I want to talk about today a little bit. And so um, here's where I'm going to start. And this is going to sound like a, a little bit weird, but it's a bit of a confession. And the confession is, I think, as I think about this, I am a reluctant Protestant. Ooh, doesn't that sound provocative? All right. So, but yeah, I think I'm a reluctant Protestant. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying I'm not Protestant. I'm not saying I am Roman Catholic or Eastern Orthodox or whatever else. I am I am happily in my Protestant camp. There's all kinds of reasons for that. I love some of the things I see in the other traditions. I've always been open about that, that I don't think we've cornered the market on Christian accuracy over here in the Protestant realm, but it's my tribe. It's the one that I feel is best represented when I look at the Bible, but I do appreciate some of the things in these other traditions that make me go like, yeah, I'm always kind of analyzing my own. And because of that, there is some tension I find when I think about the whole Protestant enterprise as it relates to faith. So let me clarify this for a minute, because again, I want to be clear that I've said I'm firmly Protestant, but there's some things in the other traditions that make me think about my Protestant thing in a slightly different light. Now, the heart behind this is, as I've shared before, I'm not a big systematic theology guy. And all of the traditions, what makes them sort of unique is their systematic theology. So... I'm a firm believer that God gave us a messy book. It's a messy book that says a lot of things that are always creating marks of tension. And I would much prefer to maintain the marks of tension than to remove the tension and kind of take a stew and turn it into a platter where the vegetables are here, the meats are there, you know, the broth is over here. Like I, I prefer the stewishness of the Bible, um, but systematic theology wants to take the stew all apart, you know, and turn it into almost like that, that person 
person at Thanksgiving that has all of their foods on their plate, but they can't touch each other and they can never mix, you know? That's what systematic theology sometimes tends to do. But I am not a systematic guy as much as I am a biblical studies guy. And when you do that, you realize that the Bible loves the tension, man. It loves to, to force you out of your comfort zone of saying, this is all that it is. And, and it makes you go like, oh, wait, God is a bit more mysterious. God is a bit more nuanced. And frankly, I love that. Not everybody loves that. Not everybody's brain loves nuance. I love nuance. And I look at the topic of faith in the Bible and I find that it has nuance too, which then bleeds me into this talk about topic about how I'm a reluctant Protestant. So here's one of the core things in Protestant belief. And that is the idea that we are saved by grace through faith alone. Say it again. We are saved by grace through faith alone. And that seems like every Protestant, when they hear that, they all agree on exactly what that means until they start talking. And as soon as they start talking, you find that they actually differ and sometimes dramatically on what that actually means. And so just as a quick example of this, if you ask a Calvinist to explain that phrase, and then you ask an Arminian to explain that phrase, quite rapidly, you will see differences in how they interpret that phrase. For the Calvinist, that means you can never lose your salvation. But for the Arminians, like, no, you can be an apostate and you can walk away from the faith. And so saved by grace through faith alone means different things once you get into the inside of that context, right? And sometimes pretty dramatically. So it's not a simple phrase that everybody can concur. It means X. There is some stuff in there that shows the complexity of it. And so it's for those kinds of reasons where even when I hear some of the things we say as Protestants, I go, yeah, but there's more tension in the Bible, particularly the New Testament on this. And there's more nuance in there. And we want to simply acknowledge that nuance. Okay. And so kind of in the realm of faith saved by grace through faith alone. And we go, well, what do we mean by faith? I think in that phrase, we're talking about something that is objective, but also it's something that's subjective. And so suddenly when you take a word like faith and it becomes both objective and subjective, it highlights the messiness and the mystery of something that seems so simplified at first, where you go, it's not quite so simple, all right? So here's what I'm then thinking about in relationship to this. Uh, first of all, let's talk about faith as an objective idea. For us as Protestants, we'd say that objective idea is what we mean by the Christian faith. Uh, so that would be, we believe Jesus is God. We believe in the Trinity. We believe that Jesus is God come to earth in the form of a human, that he lived this sinless life. He dies on the cross for our sins. Three days later is risen from the grave, ascends to heaven. And now we communicate this message of the gospel. The only message by which people are saved. It is the message of Jesus died for your sins, rose from the grave so that you could start a life with him. He could take up residence in you. His spirit will live through you. And as you yield to the spirit, the spirit does things in you, produces the fruit of the spirit, obedience to God. Those kinds of things are objective Christian faith. But 
within that, there's also the expectation of a subjective faith of the Christian. And that's about trust. That's about uh, believing in more like this inner sort of way that God is for you and not against you, that God is going to reward you for what you do. Um, you're going to um, believe the best every day in your relationship to God, that God is working out a thing, both bad and good, whatever comes in your life, that is meant to bring you on to completion, kind of a Romans 8 sort of thing. And so there's these two oars in the water of objective and subjective faith. There is the, the truths that I believe, as far as kind of the doctrines, but then there's also this idea of the thing I lean into where I am um, believing God to be acting and working and moving, and I am going to lean into that with a type of trust, and that's the subjective nature of faith, right? So you got the two, but the two are in tandem. Right. And, and we're always keeping that in mind, too, that, you know, one services the other and back and forth. But I think even then, when I think about that, I go the idea that uh, we are saved by grace through faith alone. Then I go, well, is it just objective faith that we should see there? Is it also subjective faith? That we should see there and if it's objective and subjective then it gets murky on what do you mean by we're saved by grace through faith alone is it just the faith of the doctrines that we believe or is it our faith in play that also must be there for us to then house that phrase as being we're saved by faith is it faith in beliefs or is it faith in behaviors or rather our behaviors are such because we have beliefs and therefore they are working in tandem see this is where i think it gets really confusing now maybe for some of you, you're like, that's not confusing to me. Makes perfect sense. But in my mind, I go, mm, there it gets a little murky because if I have beliefs and doctrines, but I don't have behaviors that come from those beliefs, do I really then have beliefs in the doctrines? It seems to me that to have true faith, both are in play. And when you have both in play, it can sound a little bit like, well, then you sound a little Catholic. It sounds like a little bit of works with a little bit of beliefs and a little bit of behaviors that are augmenting the belief structure and all of that together is faith. And that sounds a little murky. And I go, right, because I think the New Testament is a little murky that way. And so I bring it back to what I said. I am a Protestant. I believe in salvation by grace through faith. But when I hear that word faith, it stirs up a little bit more white water for me you know the the water gets a little more muddy instead of clear because when i read through the new testament i see that the new testament loves to create that tension or in other words maybe to look at this a little bit differently it's to say that faith uh is as much a conviction as it is a test maybe that's another way to look at this and maybe this is the core of what i'm thinking about then for this podcast today so uh here's my thing so uh thinking about james the book of james chapter two you see that he loves to paint this tension. And I know we like to doctrinalize. I think I'm making up a word there, but we like to doctrinalize this or give an order that says, uh, all right, so true faith works. Uh, so it's not that true works create faith, but rather true faith will create works. And I'm actually cool with that. I actually agree with that. That's not my disagreement. But again, I, I, I think it's a little murkier than cleaner on that because as I think about it, then a relationship to a test, I go, okay, then... If I, if I claim to believe the Christian faith objectively, then my life should flow with practice that is faith behaviorally. So faith belief and faith behavior 
are so interlocked, you really can't remove one from the other. And as soon as we're trying to say, well, but one precedes the other and vice versa, I think it kind of misses the tension of the Christian life. I think the Christian life should always have this sense of, um, uh, I, I feel the pull to be a little uh, selfish or a little lazy or a little weak or a little fearful or whatever it is, all the different little sin cues that we can have. I always feel the pressure to that. So all the more I have to lean in to making sure that my behaviors are coupled to my beliefs. And so particularly, and this is why I'm such a fan of the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plain and the Fruit of the Spirit and the definition of love is because for me, those types of things in the New Testament in particular are the hardest things. So to me, the real proof that I believe objectively in my Christian faith is that I behave practically in light of that particularly the things that I find the most challenging thing to do, the most problematic thing to do, the thing that my nature most doesn't want to do because that doesn't work in the real world, that isn't a very realistic thing, that's naive, that's pie in the sky, that's Pollyanna, whatever you want to call it. Like the, the temptation is to be like, there's certain things that God wants me to do that would be way too hard to do and so I'm not going to do those or they're not going to really work so I'm not going to really trust it but I still want to say, I believe the Bible is truth but I just don't believe that turning the other cheek works like that confronts faith in a nutshell to me that confronts whether i really do believe it because if i believe it then i'll behave it and if i don't behave it i don't really believe it that's what i love about the test of faith that's what i love about the fact that faith is both equally objective and subjective and the step further that i would go is something that jesus says in revelation 22 where it's the very end of the story, everything is wrapping up. Uh, literally, the story of Revelation is concluded. This is like kind of a, a postscript at the end. And Jesus says, uh, listen, I'm coming back to reward everyone based on what they have done. He doesn't say believed. He says done. And it's interesting because when I go through the Gospels and I look at Jesus when he's talking about rewards and punishments and things like that, he grounds them often in things that we've done, not necessarily in things that we've believed or not believed. And I think there's a reason for this. And that is the idea, again, that in our Western world where we love to subdivide divide out everything and have systematic concepts. And again, our denominational breakdowns are systematic constructs as well. Uh, Jesus storms back in and says, oh, nope, I want to create tension. And the tension is um, belief leads to behavior. And if you don't have behavior, you don't really have belief. And if you're concerned about that, maybe you should start thinking about how you need to have your behaviors comport more with your beliefs, because that's the whole reason he says both. It's to create the tension. So the idea that, hey, man, as long as I've had the right doctrines, I'm good. He's like, eh. Not necessarily. Uh, you got to make sure that you have right behaviors that flow from, from your beliefs. And even in that, what's more tricky is that certain types of behaviors that uh, really accentuate if you're really kind of in tune with Christ. And to me, then, when I look at that, I go, well, what are the behaviors that matter the most? And it's not, I read my Bible, I go to church, I pray, I don't cuss. I'm a good person. Like that's all fantastic. Like I'm, I'm saying those, let me say this differently. Those are also behaviors that we should have, right? hundred percent. I agree with that. I would add though, and those ones are pretty easy. Like honestly, in the, in the realm of biblical expectation, uh, the idea that, you know what, you don't get wasted. You don't cheat on your spouse. You don't lie, cheat, steal, whatever, you know, 
that stuff, honestly, that those the, the, the prohibitions are super easy if you really boil it down. Now, I want to be clear. I know that all of us fail in the prohibitions. So I'm not trying to say like if you've got to struggle with alcoholism or you got to struggle with porn or you got to struggle with anger or whatever else like like that that's an easy struggle but I'm just saying in the realm of God's design the the lowest hanging fruit is the law the law that says don't do this and don't do this and don't do this and don't do this that's the easiest you just got to avoid those things right the next level though is the stuff that you're supposed to go and do that's where it gets harder and that to me is where faith is really tested if we really believe the bible if we really believe the gospel if we really believe jesus is a model for us and how we live and how he faced life is how we're to face life then the ultimate test of belief is going to be that we're modeling that thing we're modeling him thus the to do's to me are the real test of how much we believe the book the to do's are the real test of faith objective made faith subjective and if we don't move the needle on that then it's a little bit of like we're we're just leaning too much into as long as i have the right affirmational model i'm good to go and yet i believe that real affirmation is application and if we're not having application do we really have affirmation? Because that's the point of James. He's like, man, if you see somebody that is destitute, poor, hurting, hungry, and you go, hey, you should get a job. You should be well-fed. You should do something about that. And you do nothing to help them. He's like, you don't really have faith. And what does he mean by that? Does he mean you don't trust in the supernatural power of God to provide for people? No, that's not what he's talking about. He's saying, you don't really believe what you're shoveling, man. You don't really believe the book that tells you to be the change agent in that space to do a thing. And so for all of us as everyday missionaries, then the challenge I have for us is if we say we have faith, then we need to live it. If we say we have faith, we need to display it. And, and the ways that are the hardest are the ways that show we most believe it. So when we are forgiving, when somebody has hurt us, when we go out of our way to reconcile a relationship, when things have been disrupted, when we opt to not judge people, though it would be so easy. And instead we look internally to our own biases, our own pride, our own lack of humility. And we work on the plank in our own eye before we worry about the specks in the eyes of certainly the world, but also our fellow Christians. When we say, you know what? I'm not going to worry about money. I'm not going to worry about tomorrow. I'm not going to worry about my finances. I'm not going to worry about the economy or my 401 or my retirement plan. I'm not going to worry about my lost job. I'm not going to like, we're going to instead say, I'm going to seek first the kingdom and its righteousness, knowing that all the stuff's going to be added to me. Like I'm going to do that. Uh, I'm, I'm going to pray these wild prayers that Jesus prescribed for us to pray. I'm going to give my alms to the poor instead of being critical of the homeless. I'm going to actually try to help the homeless. Like all this stuff that you read about what Jesus calls us to like, Hey man, I'm going to give mercy in the place of the absence thereof, because I realize that only when I give mercy will I receive mercy, which I think what Jesus says there in Luke chapter six is if you don't show compassion and mercy to others, he won't show it to you. We set the standard of our own future judgment before Christ based on what we do or do not do. That's all in the Bible. And if we really believe the Bible, then we believe those things and we believe those things, it will shape our behaviors and we will do what it is he calls us to do. It's super wild. I know that whole game of turning the other cheek and not looking with a lustful eye and being faithful to our relationships and keeping our word even when it's hard, even when it hurts, even when we gave a stupid word, standing behind the stupid word that we gave because that's our word. All of that stuff shows we really believe it.
I think even things like the fruit of the spirit, right? I don't think the fruit of the spirit in Galatians 5 is commands. But what I do think is they are the fruit of belief and action. Belief and action is behavior. And those things, like if I'm not seeing love in my life, joy in my life, peace in my life, patience in my life, goodness in my life, kindness in my life, even the last one, self-control. If I'm not seeing the self-control to not govern my own resentfulness and bitterness and anger and faithlessness and everything else, then all the more I need to be leaning into the Holy Spirit to do a thing in me so that my beliefs become behaviors and even dispositions. Like all of that is sort of in the mix of what it means to have this bundled thing called faith, right? This objective, subjective, in tandem, rolled together, playing out in a bold and beautiful way because that's what our world needs to see. See, what our world too often sees is compartmentalized Christianity, which is why we get called hypocrites all the time. Like the... the. The stigma of hypocrisy is simply that our objective faith is not in alignment with our subjective faith, that we are not really being like Jesus. Like Jesus gets accused of a lot of things. A hypocrite is not one, not really. Uh, Religion hated Jesus, right? They did. They got all kind of freaky at Jesus. But what was his accusation about them? They were the hypocrites. Jesus is never called a hypocrite. Jesus was consistent because what's he do? You see it throughout the gospel of John. He's doing the will of his father. He's coupling his belief in God's plan for him with his behaviors. And he leaned into those behaviors a hundred percent. And they subsidized then what it is he was saying and claiming about objective faith. His subjective faith was just as much augmenting objective faith as objective faith was augmenting subjective faith. It's not either or, it's and. And so when we talk about the just will live by faith, they live by both what they think and what they do because what you do proves what you think. Boom, man. That's the idea. In fact, I would see this very much in line with the great commandment right? This idea of love God and love your neighbor. And I've said this on the podcast many times. The proof that you really love God is that you love your neighbor. And if you don't love your neighbor, you don't really love God. And I know that sounds really awful, but this gets into the whole objective versus subjective again. Like I tend to think that we separate those two and we go, I can love God objectively because I hold to these certain doctrines, but then I don't love my neighbor subjectively. But that's different because as long as I'm objectively loving God by way of these doctrinal codes, I'm good enough. And it's like, no, those doctrinal codes to prove you really believe them, to show you really love God is you love others in their messy lives and messy space. And to not do that shows that, you know what? You like God. You appreciate God. You hope God is on your side. You want God to let you into his heaven one day. But do you love him so much to do the thing he asks you to do, which is to love your neighbor, your unlovely neighbor, your enemy neighbor, your undesirous neighbor, the neighbor is against you in some way, or the neighbor that's for you, right? All of that comes back to the same thing of, if I really believe this book, if I really believe in this God, if I really do believe in this gospel, it changes what I do. It changes how I think, changes the way I behave. It changes the way I perceive my world. It changes my disposition and demeanor, even internally regarding the world, because that is, again, the fruit of the spirit. That is what it means to truly love as biblical love states it. And then with that, man, boom, that changes the world. That's the change that we want to see. That's the change we want to be. Uh, This whole thing I see nowadays about moralism, this whole thing I see about kind of uh, Christian nationalism, and we need to kind of just take back culture at this ethical level, completely misses 
what I think the very essence of faith is all about. In fact, if anything, I think it's kind of this almost bastardization of Christianity at times where I'm like, if you think the objective is just that everybody is subjected to Christian code without real transformation, you're not reading the New Testament. And if you think faith is just simply about compliance to these ethical standards, you're not reading the New Testament. Because this is all about transformation, not just subjugation, transformation. And transformation by way of how the kingdom describes it, not by way of how the Old Testament Mosaic law was trying to hold them to things like that. Like, that's not the thing. The thing is the kingdom. The thing is Jesus. The thing is how he did work in this world. And that you and I get to be ambassadors of that very same thing. And I think to do that takes faith, objective, subjective beliefs, behaviors, rolled into one, shaping dispositions, shaping our demeanor, and then from that, shaping lives around us. And so, yeah, am I a little fired up about this one today? Yes, I am. And that's coming from me, all right? And and it's funny because, you know, sometimes I'm never quite sure for people if I'm too legalistic or too liberal. And I think uh, this kind of captures that tension, right? Where I'm like, uh, I, I, I think what's at the core of my being is to say uh, this this thing that we say we believe should be transforming us. And part of that transformation is a willingness to lean into the hard things because only when we start doing are we transformed. It reminds me like right now I'm wearing my Thrive Gym trainer shirt. Um, and this whole Christian thing to me is very much like paralleled in the gym, you know, like you can have a gym membership and you're paying the money every month and you believe in the gym and you believe in health and you believe in fitness and you believe it's all really critical. But until you start going to the gym and getting on a treadmill and lifting some weights and doing some things and using some bands and finding a regiment and controlling your nutrition and getting some rest and everything else, it's just ideas, man. And belief in the gym and belief in exercise and belief in good nutrition. Well, if you don't apply any of it, if you don't do any of it, it's kind of like that James too. You know, can that kind of faith really save you? That's what he says. Can that kind of faith, just faith in topics, save you? He's like, no, if you have real faith in topics, you engage the topics, you have habits, you form disciplines, you do things, you forge behaviors in your life because you show you so believe it. So again, cart and horse to me here is not super critical, honestly, because if you don't have cart and horse, You just don't have the thing. It's cart and horse. That's the thing. Yes, we are saved by grace. We are saved by grace through faith. And faith is tension, right? And faith in this way is super tension. And so if I believe it, I behave it. If I behave it, shows I believe it. It is just the cart and horse working together for ultimate goals. And I think when we keep that as our focus and we want that applied context, both halves coming together, that makes us whole. And when we're whole like that, you know what that means, kids? We will be more effective everyday missionaries.